Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Doing today? Thank you so much for sticking it through with us. Man, we have been having a fun morning here. If you didn't know, uh, we're doing a little bit of minor renovations in our tech booth at the back of the room there. So we took all of the equipment, unplugged everything this week, and then plugged it all back in. And I don't know if it was a missing cord or what, but we found the solution because we're here with you now. We're so thankful for our production team. Look, if you're thankful for the team and you're thankful that we actually got a video out there this morning, we're here with you live, would you let them know in the chat? Just send some encouragement our way. We would love to have some of that today. I want to thank Mike McHale for making that scripture video. I hope everybody got to see the Family Friday post this past Friday on our Facebook and Instagram with the McHale family. Uh, they were talking about what they were doing this summer during COVID. Uh, they quoted Joshua 1.9, a great scripture, one of my favorites. And I'm so glad that we get to do those Family Friday posts because our motto is to share the journey. Community is one of our big core values. We believe that we are built on truth. We are encouraged by community and we are driven by engagement. We want to share that journey with you. So if you would take a moment, just fill out that connect card in the comments section and we would love to get in touch with you. If you're struggling with community, you feel isolated today, we would love to chat with you. So fill that out. Um, if you haven't looked at the Connect card, I would encourage you to do so. You can wait until after the service, whatever you want to do. But as you start to fill it out, there are multiple options within the Connect card. One of the very bottom options as you're filling out the Connect card is what can we pray for for you? So if you want to take a moment and fill that out, maybe you're not new, maybe you've been at this church since Moses and the Ten Commandments on the Mount of God, right? Um, feel free to fill that out and let us know what we can be praying for you for. There is no greater joy than to be praying with and for our church family to our great God uh, who we know is in control of all of these things. Now, I want to let you know a few announcements. Uh, first of all, our outdoor celebration service. It's next Sunday. Can you believe it? It is coming up so quick. If you haven't pre-registered, you need to do so. Make sure that you go to our church app or go to the website, sharethejourney.ca, click on that events tab and register for this event. Because of COVID restrictions, we can only have up to 250 people outside. You don't have to wear a mask. You can get out of your vehicle. Make sure you bring a lawn chair, sun protection, water. It is going to be such a great time. Uh, we're going to have some baptisms. We're going to have some child dedications, Lord willing. This is just going to be such an exciting celebration with you, our church family. So make sure that you register for this event. Uh, if you're interested in baptism, if you're interested in child dedication, we have some great resources for you. We want to have that conversation with you and we want to include you in next Sunday's event. We're so excited for that. Make sure that you pre-register. It's going to be such an exciting time. Uh, what else? Lunch is provided. We're going to have fried chicken and taters. I don't think you can say taters without having a maritime accent, right? Taters. Um, but that's going to be all provided. We want this to be a family celebration. How can you celebrate without food? We're going to have some food next Sunday. 
pre-register. And if you know somebody who doesn't know how to register, maybe it's a little too technical for them, you can register them. Did you know that? Uh, if you're already registered, just click register again and then search their name and add it. That's all you have to do. Everybody's got to be registered for next Sunday's event. But enough on that. We're so excited. I hope you are taking our advice and you are having some people into your home to enjoy this service with. Because what is church if you're doing it by yourself? Church is the gathering of the body of believers. So I hope that you have somebody in your home, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody from this church. If you have somebody in your home and you're watching this morning, have you ever been to a church maybe back in the day when they did roll call? They did attendance. Do you remember that? Sunday school, who's here? Little Joshy, yeah, Joshy's here, check his name. If you are here and you're watching, you have somebody in your home, let us know who's there. We want to celebrate with you. We want to be with our church family. We can't be together in person at the moment, uh, but we want to know that you're there. We want to know that we're enjoying this together and that we're going to be looking at the word of God together. So I hope that you have somebody in your home for this church service. Now, our current series is called Meekness and Majesty. Meekness and Majesty. We're talking about the meekness of the Lamb of God slain for sinners and the majesty of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. How is Jesus both majestic and meek? At the same time, we're looking at four famous stories from the gospel. You might remember two weeks ago, Pastor Steve talked about uh, the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Do you remember that story? And Jesus cast out the legion of demons. Some people assume 6,000 demons into the herd of 2,000 pigs that went barreling over the cliff, right? Like how majestic is King Jesus over the spiritual realm? He has power over the demonic spiritual realm. But in that whole trip, he only helped one man. And then he got back in the boat and left. The meekness and the majesty of Jesus. And then last week, Mark Taylor talked about the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the multitude. Jesus took a little boy's little lunch that mommy sent with Johnny before he left for the day so he'd have snacks for his trip, and he turned it into a feast for 5,000 men, and the Bible says plus women, plus children. Jesus took that little, meek, meager lunch, and he turned it into a banquet. For thousands of people in a culture where they probably wouldn't have experienced what it meant to be full very often. An impoverished culture. And here they are eating until they're full and collecting more food afterwards. Well, today we're going to talk about Jesus' meekness and majesty when it comes to the storm on the sea. Walking on the water. And his meekness as he reaches out and grabs the hand of distracted, drowning Peter. That's what we're going to talk about. But I want to take a moment. I want to thank Janice Guinan for this artwork right here. Uh, Janice is an accomplished painter. When we were talking about this theme a couple months back, we thought of this painting right here. I think Alex suggested it. We contacted Janice. She gave us full permission to use it. So thank you so much, Janice. Uh, you don't want to use my artwork because I tried to draw a lion, and here's how it turned out. We'll just, we'll leave the artwork for the artists, okay? Looks more like a horse. But we're talking about meekness and majesty. If you've been part of church for a while, you've probably heard these stories. 
They're famous stories. I mean, Jesus walking on the water. You might know nothing about Jesus, but you probably know that one time when he walked on the water, right? You probably know these stories, and that's a little bit dangerous, a little bit concerning to me, because when you start hearing a familiar story, it's just like starting an episode on Netflix, right? I've already seen this one. Next. You start listening to this story, yeah, okay, the disciples were in trouble on the water. Jesus walks to them in the dark. They see him. Peter says, come out. So he steps out to Jesus. They're both walking in the water. Peter sinks. Get back in the boat. The lesson of the day is keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's all go home. And I'm concerned that maybe we'll start into this story and your brain will go click next channel. What's for lunch? And then the concern for me as I'm preaching from this text is whenever I get to speak, whenever I get to study, lead a talk, uh, whatever, I want to find something new and fresh and different, right? Don't you? I mean, we don't want to read the same old and talk about the same old with the same old application and then we want something new, something fresh from God's word because it's relevant for every day, for every age, and it's relevant for today. So what does God have to say to us from his word today? And I think I've found something, so we're going to talk about that. Um, the point that I want to make today is stay in the storm. Stay in the storm. What does it mean to stay in the storm? And not seek an exit, not run away, not try and bail off the side of the ship, but to stay with the ship in the storm. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you so much for who you are today. God, I pray that you guide and direct our thoughts, our heart, our motives, and our actions as we go from this service into the world, into the workplace, to the lunch table, whatever it's going to be. God, help us to follow you. Help us to seek you through it all, Father. And in these storms of life, this season might seem like a storm to so many of us. It might feel like the calm before the storm. God, I pray that you would guide and direct us, that you would be with us, that you would be the captain of our ship in the midst of the stormy sea. Thank you for who you are to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. It really does feel like the calm before the storm. Have you noticed that? I mean, here we are. It's August 23rd. School is in just a couple weeks' time. Uh, there was a little bit of a scare. Maybe the borders would be opening. They said they're going to look at it again come September. Now we have to wear masks. What does all of this mean when school gets back in? What does that look like for our kids? How is my little Reese going to wear his mask appropriately? Or what age has to wear masks? What does the protocol look like at the school that your kids are going to? Are you going to homeschool this year? Are you going to try public school? What about flu and cold season? I mean, the regular flu, the regular cold season. What happens when all those kids are back together? What happens if and when the borders open up? What happens to the economy? And it feels like people are just trying to grab onto that last little bit of summer. You know, the last few weekends before school really kicks off. Like Labor Day weekend is coming. And that's usually the cutoff, right? That means summertime is over. Put away your white pants because that's done. And now we're into the fall season. Bring on the pumpkin spice lattes. It's just, it's a mark, an end and a beginning of seasons. What's going to happen in the next season? What does it hold? It kind of feels like the calm before the storm. You know, my family went camping in Lunenburg this past week. 
this past weekend, just a couple nights. And the campgrounds booked solid. I think we stopped at one, two, and then the third one was the winner because they're just booked right up. People are trying to squeeze that last little bit out of summer. This was my favorite moment from our trip to Lunenburg this past weekend. If you can see this on the screen, we're having a tailgate party outside of our SUV. We've got watermelon, carrots, uh, me and the two kids, and mommy is in Frenchies. And we know it's going to be a while, so we figured we'd set up and have a little party. And uh, the looks and the comments that we got of people coming in, how cute is that? Uh, You know, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So meekness and majesty, let's dig into our passage today. We're in Matthew chapter 14, if you want to turn there. You know, in this story, in the context, there's not a whole lot of calm before the storm. It just kind of feels like one big storm. You know, maybe you hear these stories, you see a picture of family vacation, you think, that's not my experience. I am in the thick of it right now. I am so busy, like, who cares about fall? I just want to get to the end of the week. I just want to get through this. I just want to get to September, and then we can talk about September, and we can talk about school then, but right now, I'm in the thick of it. Maybe that's how it feels for you. That's definitely how it felt in this story. If you go to the start of Matthew chapter 14, you have the disciples returning from their missionary journey. Jesus sent them out two by two. Do you remember? I preached on this just a month or two ago. Tell me you remember. That that would make me feel good this morning. But do you remember? They they couldn't even take an extra pair of underwear. Do you remember that? Don't take two tunics. Just take one. These disciples are coming back. They are exhausted. They're telling Jesus about their trip. While they were gone... John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his beloved cousin, you remember John the Baptist, prepare ye the way, make straight the path, here comes, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He's brutally murdered. He's beheaded at the hands of a tyrant. How would that feel? And then the disciples return, Jesus is there, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. You know what Jesus says? I love this. Come away by ourselves, and let's just rest a while. Doesn't that sound good? Let's just, let's just keep summer vacation going, right? Let's just rest a while. Let's, let's not worry about September right now. Let's just get away by ourselves, and we'll just rest for a while. Well, they get in the boat. They go to cross the sea, and guess what? People see the disciples, and they see Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they start spreading the word. Here he comes, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, with his disciples. They're crossing over. I hear that they're going to be in this place at this time. Let's go. The Bible says all of the surrounding villages gathered to where Jesus and the disciples came to in the boat. Doesn't sound like much of a vacation, does it? They get there, there's thousands of people. Jesus is healing, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is working miracles. He feeds the 5,000 men plus women plus children. And then here's where we're at in our story. Does that sound like a busy season? Have you ever been so busy and stressed out and overscheduled? You just think, man, I hope I can make it to the end of the month. I hope I can make it to Friday. I hope I can make it to 5 p.m. I hope I can make it to lunch at least. I wonder how Jesus felt and the disciples exhausted. Now, 
Here's where we're at in our text. So let's look at Matthew chapter 14. Here's what it says in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Jesus dismissed the crowds. Jesus sent the people home. Are you learning something new about Jesus already? He's sending the people home. And then here's a question I want to ask you, and I wish that you were in the room for this one because I know that you would shout it out. You totally would. Who made them get into the boat? Is there anybody in the room? There's a few people in the room. Jesus made them get into the boat. That's a key point. I want you to remember that. And it doesn't look like they had much of a choice, does it? He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Jesus says, look, you guys go on ahead. I'll dismiss the crowds. I'll meet you on the other side. That's what Jesus is saying. What, were, what are the disciples thinking? Okay, you, you want us to leave you here? You don't need help with the crowds? You're, you're good? Okay, we'll get in the boat. We'll meet you on the other side. Maybe then we can have vacation. Maybe then we can have some rest. All right, that sounds good, Jesus. So they hop in the boat. Now, if you're the son of God, and you're not, but just hypothetically think about this, would you know there was a storm coming? Would you know there was a storm brewing? And here's Jesus sending his disciples into the storm. Think about that for a minute. I just want to say a couple things and then we'll move on. Here's what I want to say. The Christian life was never meant to be easy. Do you realize this? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. This Christian life was never meant to be easy. We just preached a matter of weeks ago that to follow Jesus meant to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him. The Christian life was never meant to be easy, but we love comfort, don't we? When we were camping this weekend, we took our eight-man tent, which basically sets up itself. It's just a few poles, and then it pops up. Super easy. And then I had my double-stacked queen air mattress. Yes, that's right, queen size. You inflate it, and it's basically a bed. You just press the button, pumps up. You, you don't even have to blow into the end of it. I thought I was going to have to blow into the end to fill it up, but no, we had our pump. It just plugs into the car, click the button, does it all for you. And then I had my noise-canceling app so that when I was sleeping, we didn't have to listen to the people partying in the campsites just down the road. I mean, I was talking to my brother-in-law about this, and he was saying, an air mattress? Really? Like, shouldn't you sleep on the ground? Is it really camping if you don't wake up with a sore back? Like, isn't the discomfort part of the experience? You know, when it comes to the Christian life, I don't think you can make it through on a double-stacked air mattress with your noise-canceling headphones. I don't think that works. The Christian life was never meant to be easy. Here's the second thing I want to say. And I might be stepping on some toes here, but I was going to say I apologize, but maybe, maybe your toes need to be stepped on a little bit. Maybe you've bought into some false gospel that as soon as you say yes to Jesus, everything gets better, right? Life is just so much easier. Live your best life now. I don't think that's the case. You know, here's the, here's the Christian catchphrase that I want to attack a little bit this morning. And I'll put it here on the screen so you can see it. Have you heard this one before? God will never give you 
more than you can handle. Isn't that cute? Put, put that on a coffee mug. I want you to put that, put this on a coffee mug and give it to Moses as he's standing before Pharaoh with his stutter. I want you to put it on a coffee mug and give it to Noah as he's hearing the news that there's going to be a catastrophic worldwide flood and they haven't had rain in years. I want you to put this on a t-shirt and I want you to put it on Daniel <laughs> as he's being thrown to the lions. I want you to put it on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, here you go, guys. You know, as you jump into that furnace and those soldiers that are throwing you in as they die from the heat, just remember, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. I don't, I don't think that's biblical. Do you think that's biblical? Do you think that's healthy for somebody to hear in the midst of their storm? Hey, you know, just lift your chin because God will never give you more than you can handle. Here's what it is. It's a half-truth. It's a quote from 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. He will not let you be tempted, it's a little bit different, beyond your ability, but, <laughs> never stop at the but, keep going. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that the gospel right there? That in our weakness, in our frailty, in our desperation, in our lack of ability, that God gave us a way. God provided the way. That when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac on the altar, God provided the ram caught in the thicket. Do you remember that? I don't think Abraham in that moment wanted to hear, God will never give you more than you're able to bear. He knew God would come through. He knew it would be God's strength. He knew it would be God's way. He knew. Think about the story of Job. And I'll stop with this one. We could keep going, but let's stop here and move on. Think about all that the devil hurled his way with permission from God, allowing him to do so. You know, if I tempt Job, surely he will turn from you, God. But Job was able to say in the end of it all, I know that my Redeemer lives. That God would provide a way of escape in the midst of temptation. You see, I think, definitely think that God gives us more than we can bear. To show us who needs to carry our burden. And to push us to that point of desperation where we make the decision. Maybe this is the decision you need to make today. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you're in the thick of the storm. You can't see a way out. You don't remember when you came in, but it's just stormy seas all around. Your boat is sinking Jesus is reaching out. He's providing that way of escape, that strength in the time of storm. Would you receive him today? Would you ask for his help? Would you ask for his salvation today? Let's move on. All right, let's jump to verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, this is such a beautiful example that Jesus sets for us. And I truly think this is how we can walk on top of the storm. In the midst of this busy season, 
in the midst of this storm, in the midst of his cousin being beheaded, in the midst of the disciples saying, look, it's been a long day, send the crowds away so that they can get food. No, you feed them, providing that miracle. More time has passed, more energy has been expected, more teaching, more healing, more serving. In that busy season, Jesus climbs up on the mountain by himself to pray. The disciples are on their way across the sea. They're headed straight into that storm that's going to brew up. Those storms brewed up so quickly on the Sea of Galilee because it was 100 meters below sea level. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Think about this. The storm of life is raging. The natural storm is brewing. And Jesus climbs up above the storm to spend time talking with his heavenly father. You know, when I'm stressed out, when I'm anxious, when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, when I look at my schedule and I don't know how everything's going to work, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I say yes to, what do I say no to, and the conversation is just, oh. Spending time alone with God in prayer is often the first thing to be cut from my day. Can I say that? (laughs) And I'm a pastor, How is it for you when you face a busy day? Do you continue to wake up and spend that time with God or do you get right to it because you know that if you don't, that day is going to pile up on you quickly? Here Jesus sets the example that in the midst of a busy season, in the midst of that storm, he's going to rise above to a higher altitude, a different vantage point. He's going to set his mind on things above that storm and he's going to spend time with his heavenly father in prayer. What does prayer mean to you in the storms of life? Spending time talking to God the Father. Well, you know, it says the boat is miles off the coast now, potentially six miles off the coast. It's about three in the morning and those disciples are having a hard time. Jesus has been praying up there probably a long time. The disciples are rowing and pulling into the wind, into the waves. The King James Version says the wind was contrary, which I love. Do you ever feel like you're in a storm of life and it's just against you? Everything's against you. Have you ever tried running into the wind, biking into the wind, rowing into the wind and waves? It's impossible. Uh, We went surfing a couple times this summer, uh, Martinique Beach, I think it is. Beautiful area. I don't know how those surfers get on top of the board, first of all, and then paddle out through the waves before they even catch a wave, right? Like the hard part of surfing should be standing up on the board trying to ride the wave back into the beach. I can't even get out into the waves before I can catch a wave. Have you ever tried to row against the wind, against the waves? And this is where the disciples are at. Well, it says that as Jesus is up on the mountaintop praying, he can see the disciples in their struggle, in their storm. Do you know that God sees you today in your storm, in your struggle? In whatever season of life that you're in, whether you feel totally isolated, alone in your bedroom, watching this content on your phone, God sees you. Jesus sees you in your joys, your triumphs, your mountaintops, and your valleys. And Jesus is watching the disciples in the storm that he sent them into. And he's praying. He's spending time with God. Let's move on here. Verse 26 says this on our screen. But when the disciples saw Jesus... 
Jesus is walking to them out across the sea. You've, you've probably heard the story. He's walking to them on the water. Jesus said, I'll meet you on the other side, get in the boat. They didn't realize the other side meant Jesus was going to walk as the crow flies right across the water. He walks out to them. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now let me ask one question. Do these guys sound like they're comfortable? Do they, do they sound like they're just having a pleasure cruise out on the water? Some, sometimes when I hear this passage preached on or discussed or like a Bible study, we talk about how the 11 disciples who stayed in the boat, they chose the comfort of the boat. They couldn't leave the comfort of the boat and Peter was the one who walked out on the water. Well, they, they don't look comfortable at all. And I've heard people uh, talk about how maybe Jesus was walking on a sandbar. Maybe it was an illusion. Maybe it was thick fog. They weren't that far from the shore. Maybe Jesus was walking on the shore. But because of the fog, it, it made it look like Jesus was walking on the water. Well, that just can't be the case. First of all, these guys are terrified. They, they know that Jesus is walking on the sea because they assume it's a ghost. How else could that take place? We're about to see that Peter begins sinking and drowning. So obviously the water was deep where Jesus was at. And these guys have been out on the water for hours. The Bible says it's the fourth watch. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. potentially, most likely 3 a.m. They're out a long ways and Jesus is actually literally walking on the water. This isn't symbolic. This isn't metaphorical. Jesus is really doing this. This is a miracle. The disciples see him walking. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out. And then verse 27. Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I, I love this verse right here and I want to tell you why. You know, maybe this is what you need to hear today. Maybe, maybe this right here is the word that God has for you and for your heart today. You don't need to be afraid because Jesus, it's him. He's here. He sees you. He's with you in the storm. When you look at the original Greek transliteration, the earliest manuscripts, how they were translated, it actually says, I am. Take heart. I am, do not be afraid. Now, where have we heard those two words before? I am. Do you remember Moses at the burning bush? And he's told, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. And God sends him to Pharaoh. He's heard the cry of his people, let my people go. But God, who will I tell them has sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. I am the ever-present, omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful Jehovah God. I am. Now let me tell you this. I'm told this is the first instance in the Bible where the title I am is used and it's followed by do not be afraid. Every instance prior to this in the Bible, God says, I am, and he encourages fear. He encourages a godly fear of what he's capable of. I am. Take off your shoes, Moses. 
I am, put a veil in the temple, priests. I am, do not drop that Ark of the Covenant. Do not even look inside it. Don't put your hand up as it's falling. I am, you must fear the Almighty God. But now, because Jesus is here, and Jesus is with them, and Jesus is the great I am in flesh, God with us, now we don't need to be afraid because Jesus is with us. He sees us in our storm and he's with us in our storm. We have a great high priest who's able to associate with us in our struggles, in our temptations. He knows our hearts and he's there with us in the battle, in the storm. He sees us, he's with us. Now, we have this altercation with Peter and I wanna talk about this briefly. My purpose today is not necessarily to talk about Jesus walking on the water or Peter walking on the water. I really want to dig into those 11 guys left in the boat. Because if I was there, I'd probably be one of the 11 guys left in the boat, right? Let's be honest. Actually, I might be the guy back on the shore saying, no, you guys go on ahead. It looks like there's a storm brewing. <laughs> but let's just talk about Peter momentarily. Who asked Peter to get out of the boat? Whose idea was it for Peter to get out of the boat? I wish you were here. I was really hoping somebody would jump up and say, Jesus, Jesus called him out onto the waters. Remember that Hillsong song? You called me out upon the waters, right? Was it Jesus? Look at, look at what it says. Look at whose idea this is. Maybe you haven't noticed this before. Who, who sent them into the storm? Jesus. Jesus. Look at whose idea this is. Are you ready? Are you getting excited? I'm excited. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 14. Peter answered him. Jesus has just said, I am. You don't have to be afraid. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Whose idea was it to leave the boat? It's Peter's idea, right? Where did he get that idea? You know, this has boggled my mind. I heard a speaker just the other day on a podcast. He kind of went down this road too. Why did Peter get out of the boat? Was he trying to show off to the disciples? Was he trying to prove to Jesus that he was something, that he was that rock? Was he looking for an escape? Did he needed saving from the storm in the boat? Why did he want to get out of the boat and come to Jesus? Oh, here's the best answer I can come up with. Peter wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus in the storm. He wanted to be with Jesus. Simple as that. And then here's what Jesus says. Here's how Jesus responds to Peter's idea. If it's really you, tell me to come out on the boat. Here's what he says, verse 29. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Now you know the rest of the story. You know what happens. Peter's walking on the water towards Jesus. You would think that would be the fairy tale ending, right? The beautiful moment. But for some reason, he gets his eyes off of Jesus, who was just commanding terror in their hearts a second ago, and he gets his eyes on the wind and the waves. And typically in this sermon, I would say at this point, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You will keep at perfect peace his mind who stayed on thee from the book of Isaiah. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus and the things of earth will pass away. Those waves, that wind, just keep your eyes on Jesus. And I think that's a good application. I think that's really good. I've used it. I just used it right here. But I think there's more to it. I really think there's more to it. He saw the wind. He was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 30. You know, that's, that's a picture of salvation, isn't it? Right there. We're all on a sinking ship. The Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no hope. We're lost at sea. The wind and the waves are beating on our vessel. We are going down. We are going to sink. And we need to cry out in desperation. Because this life is more than we can handle. And we need to cry out, Lord, save me. If that's you today, you need to make that personal decision. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of the rope. Maybe you're stuck in your storm. You need to cry out to Jesus like Peter cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And then look at what Jesus does in verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. I was listening by, to a message by Stephen Furtick just a couple weeks ago. He talked about this passage. It was called Walking on Water 101. It was really good. I'd encourage you to watch it. And he brought out some really interesting points. But he said, if this is little faith, man, what is big faith? If little faith is the guy who gets out of the boat, then what does big faith accomplish? I just love how it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. You know, if you cry out to Jesus for salvation right now, if you feel like you're sinking in a storm of sin, if you cry out to Jesus, he will immediately reach out his hand and take hold of you. Jesus doesn't take time to consider. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't tell Peter, hey, I know you're going to deny me three times when the rooster crows right before I'm crucified. Do you want to think about uh, re-deciding on that decision before I reach out and take your hand? No, he doesn't say any of that. Immediately, he reaches out and he saves Peter. I love that. He pulls him out of the watery grave, the depths. And they get back into the boat. And here's what, what happens when they get back into the boat. I'm jumping the camera guys back and forth, back and forth. My apologies, guys. Keeping you on your toes. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Because Jesus has majestic power as the king over creation. And he can stop the wind with a word. In fact, he didn't even use a word this time. He just got into the boat and the wind ceased. The wind obeyed. And watch what the men do. Verse 33, and this is the last, last verse. Those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You can't watch a spectacle like that and not respond in worship. You can't watch Jesus do something incredible, breaking the laws of physics, breaking the laws of the physical realm, and not respond with worship. Like, this is Jesus. He's not just a pretty painting hanging in a Sunday school room or bookmark in your book reminding you that everything's going to be okay. You're going to make it through the day. No, Jesus has power over creation, over circumstances, over your storm, whatever storm you're in today. Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. 
But what about those 11 guys in the boat? Do you ever wonder? 11 men in a boat, rub-a-dub-dub. That's not really how the song goes, but what were they doing? What were they thinking? They respond in worship. They got to see it. Did they miss out? I think every sermon I've ever heard on this subject, don't be one of the 11 dummies left in the boat missing out on such an incredible spiritual experience, miraculous. And then the application is always, you need to get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. What, what is God calling you out of and what is Jesus calling you into? You need to be willing by faith to jump out of the boat and to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Are you scared? Take courage. Buck up. Jump out of that boat and follow Jesus where he's calling you. How could Peter walk on the water? Well, I think Peter could walk on the water because Jesus spoke a word. Jesus said, come. And if we use that same theory... Who told the disciples to get into the boat? Jesus. He spoke a word. Who told them to row to the other side? Jesus. He spoke that command. Who told them that he was going to meet them on the other side? A promise right from the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. Jesus' words. The 11 guys in the boat are acting on Jesus' command. And then Peter gets the idea to step out on the water and come to Jesus and Jesus agrees. Those 11 guys in the boat, you know, I think it takes faith to stay in the boat. I don't think they stayed in the boat because of fear, although they were afraid. I think they stayed in the boat because Jesus told them, I'm going to meet you on the other side. Now here's where it gets interesting. When I study a passage, I like to look at the broader picture, don't you? I like to see where this story fits in the grand story. And, I, and that's why we're going through the Gospel Project curriculum. We're looking at the story within the greater story. The whole Bible is the story of God's redemptive plan for humanity through Jesus. That's the message that we preach here at Faith Baptist Church. So you look at the greater story, and then you look at these individual stories, like how Jesus rescues Peter. Jesus wants to rescue us. God wants to rescue us out of our sin. That's the bigger picture. So I started looking at the bigger picture and I looked at the Gospels. Where are we at? You know, there's a few other instances where Jesus is on the seashore. The disciples are in the boat. They catch 153 fish. I remember when Jesus says, come with me, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, James, and John, they leave the nets. They leave their father. They leave the boat. This wasn't the first time Peter left the boat. Peter left the boat to follow Jesus initially and now he's leaving the boat again to walk on the water with Jesus. Peter wants to be with Jesus. And then I thought, there's another story. Oh, there's a few other stories. One of them, you remember Jesus is sleeping in the boat and then the storm's so bad, they wake him up and they're like, do you not care? We're all going to sink and drown. We are perishing. And Jesus wakes up and says, peace be still, the wind and the waves cease. But there's another story. And it's in Mark chapter 6. But it doesn't include Peter walking on the water. Have you noticed that? And I was studying this out and I was thinking, did Jesus walk on the water twice? One time he walked on the water to the disciples and jumped in the boat. And then another time he walked on the water and then Peter got out of the boat and walked with him. Was it two instances? So if you look at Mark chapter 6, it's the same as Matthew 14. Same storyline. At the start of the chapter, you have the disciples returning from their missionary journey. Then you have John the Baptist being beheaded. Then you have the feeding of the 5,000. Then in Matthew 14, you have Peter walking on the water. But in Mark chapter 6, 
you just have Jesus walking on the water. It's the same sequence of events, so it must be the same story. Why does Peter only walk on the water in the Gospel of Matthew and not in the Gospel of Mark? Why is it not recorded? Well, here's something you may not know. The Gospel of Mark is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through John Mark, who's a traveling companion of Peter. Now stick with me. John Mark did a lot of traveling with Peter. And Peter told the whole story of what it looked like to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus as a disciple for those three and a half years. John Mark recorded it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you have the gospel of Mark. Why would Peter not tell John Mark that he walked on the water with Jesus? Why would he not tell him? If that was me, if it was my autobiography and my time spent with Jesus, that would be at the top of my list. Hey, I'm Peter. I'm the guy who walked on the water with Jesus. You know, only one human being has done it in all of history. Um, the God-man Jesus Christ did it, but I'm the only human being who's ever walked on water, right? When you put that on the front of your book, Peter the man who walked on water. So why isn't he telling John Mark? John Mark is this younger traveling companion. You ever get a bunch of guys in a room and they're telling stories? Well, I got a story for you. Well, I got a story for you. Well, then Peter would trump them all. I got a story for you guys. I walked on water. You're not going to believe this. Why wouldn't Peter tell John Mark? Is he embarrassed? Is he ashamed? Did he think people might make fun of him for his lack of faith because he looked at the wind and the waves and he started to sink? Is he trying to be humble? Is he practicing something new and not being his bold, impulsive self, but instead he's being a little more reserved in his more mature age as he's traveling with John Mark? Why doesn't he tell John Mark that he walked on water? I'm going to go out on a limb here. Don't shoot me down. This is speculation. I'm just considering. I think there's a little bit of Peter that said, I should have stayed in the boat. I think there's a little bit of the 11 disciples who were telling Peter, you should have stayed in the boat. And I think maybe God's word and his application for us today is, you need to stay in the boat. If Jesus told you to get into the boat, and if Jesus told you to go across the sea to Bethsaida, and if Jesus told you, look, I'm going to meet you there. I'm just going to dismiss the crowds first. I'm going to meet you there. It's like a 12-mile journey. We can do this. I'll meet you there. It's pretty normal, everyday stuff in their lives. If Jesus told you, and he sent you, and he commanded you, and he gave you that word, stick with it. Don't look for some experience. Don't look for some cherry on top experience. Don't look for some supernatural, hyper-emotional experience with Jesus when he's already told you what to do. If Jesus put you on the boat and he sent you into the storm, you can be sure he is going to see you through it. 
You don't need to look for a life raft. You don't need to look for a plan B. You don't need to look for an exit strategy. If Jesus has sent you in the boat, into the storm, whatever storm you're in, you can be sure that his grace will see you through it. Not your strength, not your ability to handle the situation, not your bravery, not your courage, not even your faith. Jesus will see you through your storm, whatever storm you're in. So take courage and stay in the boat. Keep plugging away. You know, maybe you're on your third job in three years. Maybe you've given up on that relationship. Maybe you've, you've given up on trying to reach your neighbors. Maybe you've canceled Netflix and gone to Amazon Prime because Disney Plus wasn't doing it for you. Look, faithfulness and loyalty is not necessarily prime attributes of our generation. I don't know if you've noticed. But maybe God's word for you today is to stay in the boat. Stick it out in the storm because if Jesus called you into it, you can be sure that he's going to see you through it. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. God, I pray that your word would come through loud and clear. Not my thoughts, not my speculations, not something new and fresh I'm trying to grab in the passage. But God, I pray that your word would come through clear. Thank you so much in Philippians 4.13. It's your strength that allows us to do all things, not our own ability to handle the situation. And God, I think of the situational storms that people find themselves in today. I think of school starting up, the economy, uh, the CERB being extended another month, what do borders look like when they open, and then in people's personal lives, not just this public government stuff, in people's personal lives, what are people going through? The anxiety, the stress, the depression, Man, that thought that runs through the mother's head 10 times a day. How am I going to do this without pulling my hair out? These kids need me every moment of every day. And it is so tempting to look for an out. It is so tempting to look for an escape. It is so tempting to abandon ship and leave it to crash on the rocks while you look for your own way of escape. God, thank you that you provided the way of escape. And his name's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that with him at our side, with him as the captain of our ship, there's no storm too strong. There's no season too tough. There's no pandemic too far reaching. Jesus, thank you that you will lead us through. God, help us to have faith and trust in you. And God, carry us for the times when we doubt. Carry us for the times when we think we can do it in our own strength. God, help us in these desperate situa situations to reach out for you for our salvation. Jesus, thank you for who you are today. Thank you that you saved Peter. Thank you that you saved a wretch like me. Thank you that you offer that same salvation, forgiveness of sins, new life, a home and eternity, a family. Thank you that you are willing to be our father, that we can be brothers and sisters with Christ. Thank you so much that you are willing to give us a new life if we simply ask for your salvation from our old sinful selves and where we're stuck at sea in this world. God, I pray for the storms that people are experiencing today, that you would be present there with them and show them that you are there, that you see them. Thank you for who you are, God. In Jesus' name, amen.